everybody, and welcome to the RV Miles podcast, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby, and this is episode 25 of the RV Miles podcast. To get today's show notes, head over to rvmiles.com slash episode 25. You can also find RV Miles on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Jason and I are also over at ourwanderingfamily.com. And you can find us there on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. On today's episode, we're going to talk about some tips for going down the road with your family and not killing each other. <laughs> survival of the road trip. Survival of the fittest sometimes. <laughs> We're also going to talk about a budget for an RV. We get lots of questions about budgeting RV travel and budgeting full-time travel, budgeting part-time travel. What does it cost to own an RV? So though those answers are really hard to come by. Yeah. We're going to explore some of the thoughts around how you might come up with what your RV travel budget might be. Yeah, and what better time to do it, too, because it's RV show season. That's right. When this podcast drops on Thursday, we will be at the Mid-America RV show in Kansas City. We're really excited about getting there and exploring some of the new models. And we're going to be doing some live videos on Facebook. And uh, and then we're going to post some things on our YouTube channel and some new articles on the website it's going to be fun. We're excited about it. So busy, but so fun. And thanks in advance to Nana Susie for keeping the kids all day tomorrow. Yeah, thanks, Nana. I won't say anything else about <laughs> Nana right now. Nana and I have. Uh... Just don't bring up the trash, OK? <laughs> <laughs> it's going well here at the in-laws house, but uh, we're about to get on the road. <laughs> We're we're coming into our last week or so of being here in Kansas City, and we're about to hit the road next week. Yeah, we're excited. Headed to Texas, where we hear like much of the country right now is enjoying a flu outbreak. Yeah. So we'll be washing our hands a lot, and we're hoping that all those in Texas start to feel a little bit better soon. Yeah. It's pretty bad here, too, though, I guess. So it's just that wherever time of year. you are. I looked at a map of like flu outbreak across the country, and it looked like every state except for Maine is underneath a flu outbreak right now. So, yeah. So as you head to those RV shows, just make sure you have some hand sanitizer with you. Keep your hands washed. <laughs> a lot of people are going to be there. A lot of people are going to be touching stuff, not trying to freak anybody out. But, you know, nobody wants to get the flu. So just keep your hands clean. Hey, some cool news uh, about RV Miles. Yeah. RV Miles news. I think this might be the yeah. first time we've had enough RV Miles news to talk about it in the news segment. So we have done a major update on the website. We've got a lot of content now. So we were able to sort of revamp the entire homepage to make it a lot more accessible for you to find some of the articles that you might be looking for. We're getting ready to also do that to the ourwanderingfamily.com yeah, page. That'll be out soon. Yeah. Jason has been spending a lot of hours, a lot of late nights burning that candle to get this done, because a lot of this is, while it seems like busy work, because in a way it is, it's stuff that really cannot be done during the day when you're just trying to manage the day to day content and manage three children, yeah. <laughs> which is a full, two full time jobs <laughs> in itself. Right. So the website looks so great, though. I'm excited for what 2018 is going to bring for RV Miles. And we went back and forth on whether or not we were going to drop this little bit of news. And we decided to. So do you want to roll it out, Jason? We 
are in the middle of putting together a brand new podcast. Because we're not busy enough. Podcast because we are not <laughs> because we want to punish ourselves. But we're really excited about this one. It's going to be really cool. It's called the America's National Parks Podcast. And we are going to explore not just the major national parks, but all the different national park sites uh, across the country and really talk about it's not really going to be a travel guide. It's going to be talking about the history and some of the stories behind the creation and uh, the operation, the operation of, the of, of these national parks and the, the just sort of the unknown things that that you might not have heard of that uh, that make our National Park Service sites special. Yeah, it's no secret at this point that we are huge National Park fans. So for us to kind of transition the RV Miles podcast network into another podcast focused completely on National Parks just felt so right to us. And as we've been doing some research and getting ready to launch all of these stories, it has been so fascinating to learn about some of the people and the history that makes up our National Park Service. I'm really excited for this podcast. I'm excited as a person who's going to participate in it, but also I'm excited for learning like everything that we're going to find out. Yeah, it's going to be more of a sort of narrative style thing. And uh, I, I don't know We're we've been writing episodes and, and they're they're really feeling great. So, yeah, it's I, nice I to be able be it's nice to be able to bring our theater background a little bit more into it, right? Like we yeah. both have degrees in theater. It's nice that we can kind of use that creative outlet to create this more narrative podcast and it'll be here. We're hoping early spring is what we're Yeah, at. soon. We don't have a date yet, a launch date, but we should be able to nail down a launch date soon. But yeah. it should be here later this winter, early spring for sure. Yeah, so we're gathering stories and I guess we'll throw that out there is that if anyone has a suggestion or a particular individual or story that they have heard through the years about a national park or a monument or a site, email us at editor at rvmiles.com. Let us know. We would love recommendations and to just kind of gather as much information and suggestions as possible for this podcast. So with that, let's move on to some industry news. Non-RV Miles no. news. <laughs> so We've we've talked about in the past the great pickup wars of 2018 that were coming. And by the past, you mean last week's <laughs> last podcast? Week's Truck wars. <laughs> Truck wars. <laughs> uh, Chevy and Ram are introducing big new models that they had announced previously, but they'll be shown at the Detroit Auto Show, which is coming up, I think, next week. But uh, Ford just fired their first shot of the pickup wars. Ford did a mic drop prior it's to It's a the, big one. Yeah. A 30 mile per gallon full size pickup truck. That's better than what our van gets. That's that's a third better than what our yeah. van gets. Well, you know, I mean, EPA estimated miles per gallon. We rarely live up to what they say uh, it will be, depending on how you drive and where you drive. But this is really cool. It's also the first diesel F-150. So it's an F, it's a 30 mile per gallon F-150. So what they've done is put a diesel engine into the F-150 aluminum body, which is super lightweight, but still been able to retain the best in class towing capacity. So this is going to be a really solid truck that's going to be able to pull 
a lot. And uh, it's going to cost about $2,500 to $4,000 more than the standard F-150 package. But for that, you get the reduced fuel mileage. And they say that that's going to pay for itself in about 25,000 miles of normal driving. That gets increased fivefold if you're towing anything. So the diesel F-150 will really pay for itself quickly if you're towing an RV. So in the show notes, you'll find an article that details all the new features of the new F-150 for 2018. Check that out. And that's the news for today. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we've got a lot to get into. We're going to dive into last week's puzzler first, and then we are going to hit the costs of owning an RV. Okay, Abby, if I remember right, last week's brain teaser had something to do with weird family relationships. Yeah, but in a way that was still totally legit. <laughs> totally above board. No, <laughs> yeah. no cousin, no kissing cousins. No kissing cousins. Four people are sitting around a campfire after a long day of recreation when one man comments, do you realize that around this campfire, the four of us include a mother, father, brother, sister, son, daughter, niece, nephew, aunt, uncle, and a couple cousins. If everyone is related by blood with no unusual marriages, how is this possible? Uh, I was going to, you know, let me do the chart. Uh, make the you didn't make the chart this week. It's uh, But other people did. We do have a winner. We do have a winner. It is Barry Gross from Washington. And Barry's response was, the campfire circle includes a woman and her brother, the woman's daughter, and the man's son. And that is how those four people all equal all of that stuff I just read. <laughs> a, wo- a woman and her brother. And then a wom- the woman's daughter and the man's son. And they're... Mm-hmm. Oh, so oh, the daughter and the son are cousins. The yeah. man is the uncle to the, to the daughter. The woman is the aunt to the son. They're a mother and a father, a daughter gotcha. and a brother. See, I was looking for like a married couple, but it def- doesn't ever nope. say that. No, nope. doesn't say that they've got to be. Nope. That's what tripped me up. Yeah. Mm. So there you go. Mm. That was a good one. Good job, hon. Thanks. Good job to David, too. So let's talk about the true cost of owning an RV. Or the roundabout cost. The roundabout I don't know if we cost. can give the true cost. Well, that's the thing. And that's what I alluded to earlier. It's. When you ask what it costs to own an RV, that question is so wide open. It's like asking, how much do you want to spend on a house? Yeah. That is so personal to each individual. How and many it, bedrooms will that house have? How many, right. how and many people what are neighborhood, in what neighborhood? What state? <laughs> are you building it? Is it brand new? Is it 30 years old? Right. Lots, lots, of, lots of variables that go into it. What's your down payment? Right. But we can give, we can talk in broad terms and that's what we should do because it's always great to have a place to jump off from yeah we thought we would just talk about the different expense categories and what the different things involved with those categories are so that you can sort of decide what kind of camper that you're going to be and make a determination of what your budget needs to be on your own yep the first thing of course is the ownership of the rv itself and 
we did an article a, a while back on the different types of RVs explained. And in that article, there is a range. We'll link to it in the show notes for each type of RV, what, what they cost. And that a travel trailer, for instance, could be anywhere from $13,000 on up to $80,000. New. A motorhome could be $35,000 up to $3 million. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, and of course, yes, that's new. And you could get used RVs much cheaper, or you can get a better RV for the same price that's older. Lots of different options when it comes to that. So an article like that is really great to look to because what you need to really have an understanding of before you even get into the RV world is how much money do you want to spend? It doesn't have to be, I'm spending $12,412 exact, but if you know that you want to spend between 15 and 20 or eight and 12, then an article like that can kind of help you focus where your new RV money was going to go. And then kind of also, I think, give you an idea of what you can expect to pay used as well. So really sit down and have a ballpark idea of how much you want to spend. And the the first thing that that people tend to be trying to figure out when it comes to money is which is more affordable, owning a trailer or owning a motorhome. And, you know, undoubtedly, the owning a motorhome is going to be slightly more expensive. But unless you don't own anything to tow the trailer with. Yeah. Well, that that's the thing. There are costs that are involved that people don't realize when it comes to towing a trailer. Yeah. And the biggest one of them is owning a, a truck that can haul it. And that's going to depend on the size of your trailer. But there are very few trailers that can be pulled with a SUV, uh, with a minivan. Those are all going to be very tiny, tiny things. Pop-ups. If you if you want to tow a, a decent-sized travel trailer, you need a hefty truck to do it with. And that could cost you forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 new. But if you already have that parked in your driveway, right. you are two thirds of the way there to owning something. At the same time, when you own a motorhome, you might want to be towing a car behind you that you use to get around once you have driven to the campground. And that's an additional cost. You may already own that car, but there are certain cars that can be towed four down. There are certain tar cars that can be towed on a dolly trailer. And there are certain cars that can't be towed at all unless they're on a flatbed trailer. I like to call this the miscellaneous category. <laughs> There's a maintenance category, which we're going to get to. Yeah. But in my mind, these kinds of things are miscellaneous expenses that pop up a lot of times after we have purchased the item. Maybe we weren't planning on them, or maybe we had a bit of a ballpark idea about how much it was going to cost. And a lot of times when you think something's only going to cost a couple hundred dollars, it's usually going to cost at least 50 to $200 more. So taking your automobile situation into consideration before purchasing is really advisable because we have heard from people who go and buy a class A or a C and they get it home and they're getting ready. They want to go out and all of a sudden they think we can't drive this around once we get to the campground. Like this is not our let's go up to the visitor center yeah, at Rocky break, Mountain National Park camp just to go to the visitor center or to go to the grocery store. And some people do that. And some people just take their RV, they go on a week-long trip, they park in a national park, and they use that national park services transportation, and that's Absolutely. what they do. And those are other things you can factor into as well, the kind of traveler you're going to be. But if you're not buying something like a little road truck that's kind of made for like 
being a vehicle in addition to the thing that you live inside, it's a really good idea to just take into consideration how you're going to and if you're going to be taking another vehicle with you if you have the class A, B or C. Along with that goes the way to hook up that vehicle. So if you're towing a trailer with a truck, you you might need to get a if you're going to do a fifth wheel, you'll need to get a fifth wheel hitch installed. If you are towing a vehicle behind your motorhome, you're either going to be buying a tow dolly and those can go up to like thirty five hundred dollars or you're going to be setting yourself up for for down towing or dinghy towing it's called and you'll need to get a tow bar, tow bar and a, a mounting plate mounted to your your towed vehicle and a, a brake system and all that can cost up to three thousand dollars as well so that is what kind of falls into the miscellaneous yeah. category. So just be aware that there are probably going to be expenses that you did not anticipate that will pop up. The other thing when it comes to owning the motorhome itself that people need to understand is that these things do depreciate very quickly, motorhomes and trailers. And uh, you need to make sure that you're in this for the long haul with this RV that you buy or that you know that when you go to sell it off, you're not going to make back if you get a full loan on a, say, a $75,000 brand new RV and you go to sell that in five years, you're not going to make anything near close what you still owe on it. No, that first that. drive home from the dealership to your driveway or wherever you're taking it, you can look behind you and just watch like dollar bills like float behind <laughs> you because you are going to lose that much money when you buy new just driving it, it off it the lot. It happens very, very quickly. And, uh, and that's one of the reasons we recommend that people are buying their first RV. There's nothing wrong with buying new, but if you're buying your first RV, we always recommend that you buy a used one, uh, or at least that you rent an RV or something like that. So that you know that this is the type of RV that your family wants and that this is a lifestyle that you want to, to do. You know, if you end up deciding, Hey, I don't like RVing in a year. And you've got this $90,000 motorhome that you bought, then you're going to go try to sell that and you're going to get $50,000 out of it. And and you still owe $85,000 on it. Yeah. And I think, too, if you're a young family and you want to get into this lifestyle, purchasing something used will make it a whole lot easier on you if your family is going to grow. Yeah. You know, that is really something to take into consideration. You may be purchasing an RV and thinking, we want to have this for four five or six years. Well, is your family complete at that point when you buy it? And if your family is not complete, are you buying for a family that's going to grow? And so that's something to take into consideration because a lot of times people will purchase these RVs and then all of a sudden they've added one or two more right. additional members to their family <laughs> and there's not enough sleeping space. So the other things that are tacked on to the, the ownership of the vehicle itself are going to be maintenance costs, your insurance costs, and your title and licensing costs. And maintenance is definitely going to be more on a motorhome than it is going to be on a trailer. Uh, but you do have that truck that you have to maintain if you're pulling a trailer. And the size of your motorhome is also going to play into how much maintenance cost. So if you have a smaller class C motorhome, an oil change may cost you 7,500 bucks. 
if you have a big class A diesel pusher, an oil change and fluids and, and lube job may cost you $600 to $1,500. And, uh, and those are harder things to do on your own, though it can be done. I do ours on our own. but And even with you doing the oil change for Wanderbus. The oil itself is almost $100. <laughs> the oil itself is, <laughs> yes, it's, it's still a cost. And would Jason. I mean, it takes five and a half gallons of oil. <laughs> gallons. Yes. And would Jason like to drive it off and have someone do it for us? Absolutely. Uh-huh. But the cost to have someone do it compared to doing it on your own, we are just not able to justify at this moment. So that is, again, something to take into consideration. If you can do it on your own, perfect. But that's not something everyone wants to do. And then insurance and uh, entitling costs are going to vary drastically by state. Some people pay $150 a year for their motorhome insurance in some states. And then in other states, they may pay $150 a month. And it just depends. And the same thing with registration. Some states... Registration is based on weight. Some states, it's a flat fee for all RVs. uh, And states obviously have varying costs when it comes to that. So it's just going to depend on what your state's costs are. You know, for us, one of the reasons we kept our Illinois residency, we had discussed moving to Missouri residency. But for us, when we started looking into it, Missouri charges a personal property tax. And that personal property tax for our school bus RV was going to be a lot was going to be a lot. And we couldn't justify some of the other benefits that would come from switching residency to Missouri. Yeah, You got to be careful about that too, because sometimes it's based on the, what they think the value of your, your motorhome or trailer might be instead of what you paid for it. So you might pay $1,500 to buy some older used trailer. But if the state thinks it's worth more, uh, you may either have to prove that what you paid for it, or you might have to shell out more than you think you might. Which we had to do. The mm-hmm. state of Illinois priced Wanderbus at more than what we paid for yeah, it. And they so they sent us a bill for $850. Yeah. And we had to go and be like, sorry, <laughs> no, this is how much we paid for this bus. <laughs> We're not paying this extra yeah. $800. So there is that potential for something like that to happen. In regards to the insurance, I think that's another thing to really kind of investigate before you go and make a purchase. Yeah, you can get a quote from an insurance company before you buy the actual RV. Yeah. And go with go with the insurance company that you already use for your vehicles or transfer your vehicles to a new company. You always save when you're bundling together. And especially if you're driving a truck with and pulling a trailer or if you're towing a car behind your motorhome. Having those vehicles be under the same insurance company avoids problems where you've got two insurance companies arguing over who owes what in an accident situation. The final cost I want to add on to owning the actual vehicle is you may have winterization and storage costs. We winterize ourselves. Uh, Most people have somebody do it for them, but a lot of people do it themselves as well. It's actually really simple. And we talked about winterizing a couple episodes ago. But if you want somebody to winterize for you, you're going to pay them like a hundred bucks to do it. And then you're going to have to pay them to de-winterize it after the winter season is over if you're in that kind of climate. And then if you have to pay for storage, if you can't store it on your own land or at your own house, that might cost you, you know, anywhere between 50 and $150 a month to do so. So you really need to look into those costs and make sure 
that you've got that all figured out as well. And if you think you can store your rig in your driveway, make sure that you can actually do that. Yeah, check with your homeowners association rules or your city's rules. There are many places where it's not allowed to park an RV in a driveway. And the last thing you want is to assume that that is okay and then get this RV home and get a letter or a phone call from the city. And now all of a sudden you are responsible for storage fee. Yeah. A lot of people, honestly, a lot of people buy class B RVs specifically because their homeowners association has rules against having RVs in your driveway and a class B is essentially a van and they often get away with it. Okay. Let's move on from the ownership of the motorhome or trailer itself to the stuff involved beyond that which again um, is another wide range yes, topic of how much you can about spend so far is not everything not even close no. No. <laughs> so the stuff you put in your rv you can put a little bit of stuff in your rv or you can put a lot of stuff in your rv sometimes i am amazed at how much stuff we have inside yes. Wanderbus. And <laughs> now we, we live in it full time. So, of course, we are going to have more stuff than most people traveling in their RVs would. Perhaps. But I also think, you know, if we were headed out for a week or two weeks or three weeks, we're going on a family vacation. Would we have less stuff? I, we, maybe a third. We, yeah. Yeah, maybe, not a lot less. We may yeah. not have as many books. Not as, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'd leave the Xbox at home. I'd like to just leave the Xbox in general on the side of no, the road. No, 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 but no, no, I'm, no. <laughs> I'm outnumbered. So, but you can also use stuff from your home, and that's a lot of work to move all of your dishes and plates and silverware and spices and condiments out to the <laughs> RV every time you want to you know, leave to go camping for a weekend at a nearby state park. It's doable, but it is a lot of work. And in my world, I would like to have those two things be separate. So, and you could, so then you could go buy all of that stuff for the RV. And that's expensive. you could do some sort of combination of the two. There are some things that you will need to stay in the RV, like bedding. Your bedding for your RV might be special sizes. Sometimes it's a special sized sheet. The RV bunk size is very special. It's not just a twin. Right. So we have an article that's inexpensive items for the RV that we've kind of put together to sort of offset what can be a really expensive endeavor. So we will link to that in the show notes as well. So you can kind of go over and look at some of the things we suggest a few more things that you will need to have, though, uh, are the are the sort of things that are essential to, you know, hook your RV up and dump the tanks and stuff like to that. To making it work. Yeah, you're going to need <laughs> yeah. a water hose. You're going to need a, a, a fresh water hose and a, uh, and a hose for cleaning things with. Because you do not use <laughs> one hose for both. both. No, 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 no. You're going to need a, a dump hose. You're going to need a water pressure regulator. You're going to need a power cord. You're going to want a electrical management system or surge protector if your RV doesn't come with that installed. And that's something that keeps the power from spiking and and destroying all your appliances in your RV. Lots of little stuff that adds up. But the thing I wanted to tell you is there are the basics like the water hose and the dump hose and pressure regulator and the few things that you're going to want inside the RV, but everything else 
you know, you can figure a lot of that out on the way. You can always go buy most of the stuff you need is going to be at Walmart or any other sort of big box store. Camping world. So don't go. feel like you need to go buy absolutely everything before you go out on a, on a trip. No. And uh, uh, to add to that, before, if you buy a brand new RV, don't just plan to like, you know, drive 2,000 miles to Yellowstone in it. Take it on a shakedown trip. Put the things in it that you think you need to put into it. Go out to a campground for a weekend. See how that goes. And then decide what you need to add to that. Get to know your rig, but get to know yourself inside of it. That's a big thing, too, because what you might think is going to be like your life (laughs) as you're inside this thing and you're living in it usually is not what we anticipate. There's some things that will surprise us. And there were definitely things that surprised me about living inside Wanderbus. And I think that there were also, if I'm honest, some things that disappointed me that I maybe had an expectation of what it was going to be like. And it wasn't quite that. So I needed to readjust my own expectation. And no one wants to be out on a big road trip, traveling thousands of miles and be struggling with like, this isn't working for us. Why did we bring this along? I'm not enjoying this for X, Y, or Z, or I'm loving this. And I wish we had brought more of it. Like just go down the street to the County campground, hang out. The next big category is, is one of the ones that has the most range. And that is, and that is traveling and uh, camping fees. Mm -hmm. So that we're talking about fuel costs and the costs of campgrounds. We sort of lump those together when we budget because they increase and decrease with each other. So if you want to spend less money, you don't drive as much. You don't stay at as many different campgrounds. You stay at one campground and pay a weekly rate or a monthly rate. If you're going to spend a little bit more money, you are going to be paying nightly rates at campgrounds and driving more. But uh, when money is short, you can do less of that. A common question we get is what gets better fuel mileage, a motor home or a travel a truck pulling a travel trailer? A Ford F-150. And, <laughs> and that varies widely again. And, uh, you know, actually, if you get that F-150, that's a good. <laughs> but, but the, the you know, if you're towing a big fifth wheel trailer in with, with a dually truck, you might be getting slightly better gas mileage then, or, or fuel mileage, I should say, because diesel is not gas. You might be getting slightly better fuel mileage than a motorhome. You might be getting, oh, 10 to 12 miles per gallon, where a motorhome might be getting somewhere from seven to 10 miles per gallon. But thing, the thing you need to remember if you are doing that is that then your truck is your daily driver. And that's the thing that you're going to take to all the local destinations, wherever you go to, And you're going to have much worse gas mileage in that. We put more miles on our van that we tow behind our bus than we do on the bus itself. And I think that is true for most people. Yeah, I would say you're probably correct in that. I would be interested, though, for us to break down those numbers, because I think when Wanderbus is stationary like it is right now at my parents' house, absolutely, we're driving the van all over the place. And you can't go anywhere in Kansas City without taking 30 miles just to get there. So, but I'm not quite sure. Like when we are traveling, we do tend to put, I mean, I think last year we put over 7,000 miles. Yeah. Yeah, of course. On Wanderbus. <laughs> and we did put about 
15 maybe on the van, but we mm-hmm. were, but we, we were stationary slow, for quite a bit. Yeah. We slow traveled a lot yeah. last year. But it, I mean, the point remains though, is that you're going to have worse gas mileage in that vehicle that you might be driving 50 miles, a hundred miles a day to go to some of the different destinations around the area that you have traveled to. Yeah. Cause a lot of times too, you're going to be driving through towns and cities and you're going to be going up hills and downhills and, you know, to scenic bypasses and stuff like that. And you don't get good map. You just don't get good gas mileage no. when you're in the city. You're not on the highway. Then campgrounds, uh, of course, you know, you do have the different monthly and weekly rate discounts and there are the discount clubs that you can be a part of, but then the different types of campgrounds you go to themselves are going to vary in cost. You can go to the, some of the very expensive resort type places that might be over a hundred dollars a night. Uh, you can go to some national parks and federal campgrounds that might be somewhere between 15 and $25 a night. And then state parks, state parks can vary quite a bit. We've talked about that before. Some state parks are very affordable. Some you have to pay to get into the park before you pay for the camping. And then it can add up to like 40 bucks a night. Yeah. It's really amazing to me. I think of all the three things you just mentioned, state parks seem to be the ones that can get really expensive, really fast if you're not careful. And I would even throw like county campgrounds into that too. Yeah, like yeah, I, there's county campgrounds. I'm specifically yeah. thinking of the Cook County Forest Preserve and the fact that to camp inside, you know, yeah. a city is fifty to sixty dollars a night on the weekends. But and, then we found those little places where we've camped these little county parks or small town parks that are operated by their municipalities that might be like $15 a night. The place in Wisconsin mm-hmm. that was so awesome and it was only $15 a night. Highlight of last year's campgrounds too, that place. But if you want to go to those campgrounds where there are lots of activities, there's lo- there's a pool, there's lots of different things for the kids to do in terms of like go-karts and mini golf. Themed it, weekends. If you want to do that sort of thing, that is going to cost you more. You can also do some sort of balance of the two. And then of course, if you boondock, which is parking without any hookups in Bureau of Land Management land or Walmarts or uh, or really anywhere that you're not paying to camp. You're paying uh, a big fat zero. You, you're paying a big zero. There are some places that you're boondocking for a fee. Some BLM land you pay a little bitty fee. And That's right. There are some sort of state and national park campgrounds that have no hookups that you might be paying but it's $10 just a, a night or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's a small, either it's a one-time fee or it's a really small daily yeah. fee. But then the trade-off is obviously not having hookups and you need to have a rig that is able to handle that. If you're a family, you need to make sure you have some really big tanks. (laughs) The final category is your sort of food and entertainment and recreation options that you want to hit up while you're traveling. And again, this is a very personal thing, how you plan to travel, what type of places you want to go to. If you're interested in going to cities, you're going to pay more. If you like eating out, you like trying out all those road food destinations, it's going to cost you. If you cook all your meals in your RV, it can be one of the best savings there is in in traveling because that's one of the biggest costs when you take an airplane somewhere is you've, you've got to pay for all that food and your hotel room doesn't have a kitchen in it and all that. So or it you, may have a, a kitchen in it yeah, or a small kitchen. But you've a got mini a fridge, fridge with you. Still. You've got a kitchen you 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 can cook. And that is one of the reasons why people 
RV is because they can save that money. But just, you know, remember, if you want to try all those cool new food destinations in different towns, that that is not cheap. <laughs> if you want to be like the Epperson's and find all the good pizza in all the different cities, <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, you're not going to cook as much in your RV. And and entertainment, of course, is the same thing. If you want to see, you know, bands wherever you go, if you want to go to all the different museums and uh, and pay for, you know, zip lines and and go-karts and everything that all of these sort of touristy destinations offer, that's going to cost you if you are willing to just go to national parks and pay that, you know, yearly $80 entrance fee. And you just want to hike and look at the scenery. It's going to cost you a lot less. And then of course, again, there's a balance between the two. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope, you know, if we are giving the impression that this is, can be an, astronomically expensive thing to embark on. No, only if you want it to be be. only Only if you want want it to be. I think like anything in life, buying a car, buying a house, buying a computer, it can only be as expensive as you want it to be. Yes. At, At the same time, there are the hidden costs in owning an RV. It is taking care of both a vehicle and a second home at the same time that you just need to be aware of and and plan for and know that they're there. Yeah. And if you do plan for it and you've got it kind of all like laid out in front of you, it can really be an absolutely rewarding and amazing experience. And we've said it before and we'll say it again. This is a great time of year to think about making an investment in an RV with all the RV shows going on. If you're wanting to buy new, the deals are really good right now. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about traveling with kids and how to make everybody happy on those long travel days. We'll be right back. Okay, we've talked several times before about ways to make travel go a little bit easier. And this is a particular part of that subject that is uh, very important to us. <laughs> we uh, we put together some tips, or Abby put these together actually, for an article for Our Wandering Family, which you can check out in the show notes. Uh, some tips for surviving family travel days. Yeah. And these are really focused on not full-time travel, but if you're traveling by car, or I think maybe too, if you're traveling in your RV, getting from point A to point B on a little family vacation. But when I was thinking about this list, it really could apply to people who don't have children on a road trip. Yeah, some of it can. I think there's some things in there that we can all glean from. Some of it can just apply from like going for a half hour drive. (laughs) Taking the kids kids to the grocery store. (laughs) So yeah, so let's jump into it really quick. So the first one, the biggest one, I think, flexibility. Let's just be honest. We have kids and kids are so unpredictable. And yes, perhaps you would like to start your vacation and be on the road by 8 a.m., And if you make that happen, that is fantastic. But kids, they don't know what 8 a.m. is. 
kids, they just go when they want to go. And so it's really important that you just go into this with a little bit of flexibility. You leave at 830, you leave at nine, you leave at 10. That's all good. Nothing about a road trip is enjoyable when the adults in the car are super stressed out. It's a it's a fine game of knowing that whatever time you plan, you're going to leave at least an hour later. And (laughs) and but still from the beginning, pretending that you're going to leave at the actual time that you set so that you don't set yourself back like an extra hour. I always (laughs) feel like I feel like we are on schedule if we leave an hour later than we wanted to leave now. There is a caveat to that. If you need to be somewhere by a particular time, if you have a reservation or any reason whatsoever that you need to be at your destination within a certain hour or time frame, then let's say in order to hit that time frame, you need to be on the road by 8 a.m. Tell yourself you're going to be on the road by 7. Yeah. And if you can avoid making those types of commitments where you have to, you're going to be driving for six or seven hours all day and that you have to have be at a dinner reservation or a show or whatever you might be doing that night, try to keep that first night flexible so that you could arrive at any time and it'd be okay. Yeah. For a lot of families heading out on the road for vacation, we are coming from an environment where our kids have to be at school at a particular time. Maybe you have to be at work at a particular time. Your life is so controlled by the clock. So to just kind of let that go And be able to say, we get on the road when we get on the road. This is what we're shooting for. And then allow that flexibility and just that chill to carry over into the entire road trip. I just think we'll make the entire car ride way more enjoyable. And we fully struggle with that. Yeah. If we get to a point where we're like, we want to leave at a certain time and that's not happening, we get stressed out. And that's on us to to chill it out and to try and just realize that we can't always be ruled by the clock. We have small individuals and things outside of our control, and they are often the ones running the clock. <laughs> Next item on the list is surprise, surprise podcasts. Podcasts. And, you know, podcasts are on the list not because we do a podcast. Absolutely not. Our we kids don't listen to this do podcast. do a podcast because <laughs> we love podcasts. Yes. And there are some really great ones out there for families and not just kid type podcasts, podcasts that are good for everybody to listen to. Adults can feel like they get something out of and kids can too. And I think it's really cool to listen to podcasts that might relate to the destination that you're going to or the places that you're driving through along the way as well. And we did an article a while back on the top podcasts for family road trips that we'll link to as well. And uh, I think there's some really good ones, but our, our kids, everybody loves listening to podcasts in the car because Absolutely. you always get something different. And, you know, they can be really short episodes too, 15 minute episodes, mm-hmm. 20 minute episodes. And when you have shorter attention spans, those are perfect. And one podcast that we particularly enjoy as a family that we stumbled on recently, that's not in this article is the stuff you missed in history class podcast. They certainly have topics that maybe aren't kid friendly, but there are so many topics in there that are and the kids thoroughly enjoy them. Like we just listened to a two parter recently, an older one on Aaron Burr and the kids were really into that. Like Jack, our 10 year old said, oh, can we go ahead now and listen to part two? And I think the opportunity to bring in like education and learning into your road trip and don't tell the kids that that's happening 
is always really cool. Yeah. So there you go. That's the uh, second one on the list. The third one is rest areas. Stop at them. Yeah. Stop at the rest areas. Don't wait until you get to the gas station or you see a McDonald's or a fast food place to stop at. Stop at the rest area. A lot of rest areas now have little mini playgrounds. And those are great opportunities to get out of the car, stretch your feet, and let your kids burn 10, 15 minutes of energy before you put them back in the car to keep going. We generally always try to stop at a rest area for a bathroom break or just a we need to get out of the car break. It's hard to stop because you want to get there as soon as possible. You think that that's going to make everything better. But stopping is really, really worthwhile. And rest areas are nice because you can look through the flyer racks and and brochures, get Jason's some brochures, thing. some ideas about what's <laughs> in the area around you. And, and it just gives everyone an opportunity to reset. And a lot of times when we're traveling, if things are starting to feel just a little claustrophobic inside, even Wanderbus, things are starting to feel a little claustrophobic inside Wanderbus. A rest area, especially if you're traveling in your rig, is a great place to be able to stop, get everybody out of the car take care of some needs like the bathroom or whatever, but just get outside and get some fresh air. So go to the rest area. Don't, don't fly past it. Stop. Audiobooks. That's the next one on the list. I mean, I know again, that's going to be a real big shock that we're mentioning audiobooks. We love audiobooks. And Audible is a, is a sponsor. And we do have that deal where you can get two free audiobooks if you do go to sign up for a new account with Audible. But even if not, we love audiobooks and they really, really pass the time well. Uh, we listened to the entire Harry Potter series as a family yeah. in the car. 99.9% of the entire seven books were listened together in a car. And I think sometimes, too, because you're all in that one little contained space, it lends itself to having those kinds of like, family listening moments. And let's talk about it too with podcasts and with audiobooks. Those are great opportunities to build listening skills. Yeah. And let's be honest, kids really have a hard time with listening skills. <laughs> <laughs> or at least the uppers and boys <laughs> have a hard time listening. So these opportunities kind of can enhance other areas of your life without you even knowing it. Yeah. So audiobooks are great. You can get them from the library if you don't want to do an Audible subscription. Mm-hmm. We did an Audible subscription because that $14.95 a month, that monthly fee, allowed us to get those Harry Potter books at 50 to 65% off. And those were things we knew we wanted to own. Our kids are avid fans of the Harry Potter series. And they can listen them to them on their own devices too. So if yeah. you have like an Audible account, they can... It can be shared between different devices so the kids can go back and listen to some of the old books. Uh, we don't all have to be listening to the same book in the car at the same time, though that is nice to do. It is nice to do. And we have an article that we wrote for Our Wandering Family that is the 10 audiobooks for family road trips. And you can go over there and kind of see the 10 books that we have recommended and I could probably do another one of those articles at this point. We've listened to so many since we wrote that, but it's just a nice little jumping off point. Number five, snacks. Bring all the snacks. All of them. All of them. Go down an aisle of whatever your kids love and just dump everything into your cart and then lay the snacks out all over the car, the rig, 
the van, whatever. All of your kids will go through a growth spurt while <laughs> the second that you start a road trip, yes. they'll be like, they'll be like these hunger demons that can't. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is about the car for our kids, especially our youngest one. He just constantly wants to be eating yes. in the car. So if you think you have enough snacks, you don't. If you think you've brought enough to drink, you haven't. Double it. Yeah. Like it never fails. And it really wasn't until we got in Wanderbus and started traveling that way that I didn't want to throw myself out of the car <laughs> when we were traveling because I had access to a fridge and a pantry that if I needed to get up and get someone something or I could prep a ton of things before we get going because kids, they're just bored. Yeah. And they're burning a lot of energy being bored. <laughs> <laughs> Number six is a controversial one. It doesn't need to but be, it shouldn't though. Be. It shouldn't be. Movies. Bring movies. The, like, we all do it. I, well, and I think this is one of those things that people say um, before they have their kids. <laughs> you know, right. one of those things. I will never let my child watch a movie in a car. I I grew up having to play rogue games. And we, had, we counted the license plates from different <laughs> states. And my kids will, too. And... It's not about the kids. It's about you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. So it's about your sanity. <laughs> it's like I say in the article, we all do it, but for some reason we feel really guilty. I don't know why. It. Like they can watch TV at home. Why, why wouldn't we let them watch TV in the car? That's so horrible. Oh, you must watch out. You must look outside <laughs> and see all the, the what? The trees? <laughs> I can tell you that my parents, when I was growing up, probably would have loved to have the option yeah. To let us watch a movie. I am not advocating that from the minute your kids get in the car until the no. minute you pull into the campground, they are staring at a screen. That's not what I'm yeah. saying. But when we were growing up, we used to have this game called Bingo. And we would play it that if we saw a car that we liked, we yelled Bingo. And can you imagine four children in the back of a station wagon <laughs> bingo, bingo, bingo. screaming <laughs> Bingo at every car yeah. they saw? And then we would argue over, Over who said better. it first. I can distinctly remember my mom finally turning around and saying, bingo is not allowed <laughs> anymore. And I think at that moment, my mom probably would have really liked to have been able to say, hey, you guys want to watch that Lego movie? <laughs> Take a little break from bingo. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I would rather my kids spend the time in the car watching a movie and then when they're out of the car, not, you know, right. And, but, and the other reason why we really like watching movies and, and listening to audiobooks and podcasts in the car is because we have a real problem with devices and books in the car. We don't let the kids use iPads and Kindles and things like that, or read books in the car very much because our kids get really car sick when they do that. Yes. And there's nothing like multiple Car sick incidents on one road trip. Let's not even go there. Those are memories that I try really hard to shove really far into the back of my mind. So you just just keep a little fun for for going to Walmart and buying a new car seat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that we've had to do a few times. So it's OK to bring a movie. It's OK to bring two movies. And if you don't have a movie player in your vehicle, those those ones that you strap to the back of headrests are, are really affordable these days. That's how and we started. We like we get when we buy new movies, we get the the Blu-ray slash DVD set because it's usually the same price. 
and we keep the Blu-ray, we keep it in the bus, but you can keep the Blu-ray in your home and then you can keep the DVD in the car. And it's like, you've got two in separate places and you don't have to worry about going back and forth with them. I think we just gave away how often we let our kids watch movies in <laughs> the car. A lot. <laughs> because for our van as well, when our kids are plugged in, they have the headphones on and they can watch their movie. Well, we can do something separate up front. Yeah. So that gives us an opportunity to listen to a maybe more boring mom and dad type podcast, or we can break out our musical theater, our Broadway tunes that the kids are like, Oh oh no, they're listening to Jesus Christ superstar again. So (laughs) we can do those things. They can do their thing. We can all reset and come back. And this will bring us to our very last little tip. And that is where's some comfy, comfy clothes. I know that that sounds so simple. Yeah. But this is not a time for your super cute new ankle boots that you just bought. And believe me, I'm telling you this from experience. It's not a time to put the kids in those outfits that you think are so cute. and You want to see them traveling in, in the vacation outfit, put your kids in about as close to pajamas as humanly possible. Sometimes you just put them in pajamas. Or if you're leaving really early in the morning, Put them to bed the night before and what they're going to wear so that you don't even have to deal with that in the morning. We have put our kids to bed. I can't tell you how many times in their sweatpants and a T-shirt because we knew that the next morning we were getting up and we wanted to get on the road. And one less step is one less step to maybe possibly making that departure time. And I listen, I don't wear sweatpants in public, (laughs) but I'm willing to on a travel day. Oh, just, yeah. because, just because, you know, you're you're sitting in jeans. Oh, man. And you're if you're wearing a belt, digs into you. And, <laughs> no, got to be comfy. So, you know, be OK with the yoga pants or the sweatpants or just the really comfy T-shirt that your kid always wants to wear. It's not a time for the nicer clothes. It's not a time for the big tool skirt that your child might love, but takes up a lot of space and is going to annoy the sibling next to them. Just be okay that, you know, when you get to the campground, if y'all want to put on some different clothes, that's fine. Sweatpants, t-shirt, totally acceptable on the road. All right. Those are our family travel day survival tips. If you have a tip, we'd love to hear about it. Absolutely. Can't ever have too much in the arsenal, right? (laughs) Let's wrap this show up with this week's brain teaser. All right, here we go. It's a short one, but it stumped Jason. Yeah. So this is a it's a riddle one. yeah. Yeah. So here we go. What is bought by the yard and worn by the foot? There you go. There it is. If you know the answer, email us at editor. At rvmiles.com, and we'll announce the winner of an RV Miles decal on next week's podcast. All right, that's this week's episode. We will see you out on the road. Hopefully, we'll see some of you at the Mid America RV Show in Kansas City and Texas. We're coming for you in just a little bit. So, until next week, everybody, keep logging those RV miles. We'll see you next week. Bye, Bye you guys. Bye.